And I pray that the message will help us today to overcome fear and doubt and increase our faith. I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 32 and I want you to mark your Bibles. We're going to read several verses as we get all maybe 10 minutes into the message uh, this morning. This is an interesting time in America. Uh, We are anticipating and wondering what's going to happen in our country January 5th and Georgia and then January 6th in D.C. I believe today is a most important day as God's people gather around the nation and around the world to worship the God of heaven. I believe it's important. I'm starting early this morning, but I'll make up for it. (laughs) I'm starting early by design. I'm going to preach the full 35 minutes this morning. And here's the message. Will we repeat the history? Will we repeat the history of our faith in God? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word. Perhaps this is not a typical Sunday morning message, but it is the need of the hour in our nation. Lord, certainly evil and wrong is always working to advance the cause. Lord, evil like a disease multiplies quickly if it's not dealt with. And I pray that today you would increase not only our faith in you, but help us to be determined to spend more time in prayer and worshiping the God who's in control of all things. Help our thinking today to be with the story and the truth of the Word of God and especially of how it applies to our life and to our nation this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It is more than a cliche that you hear those who do not know history are bound to repeat it. And this morning I want us to not just think about that, those who don't know history, but those who do know history, will we repeat our faith in God? One of the interesting stories in the Bible is a time of war and battle in the Word of God during the days of Hezekiah, who was the king of of Judah. Without doubt, it was a time of faith in God, and when that faith in God won over the power of evil men. History, as the book of 2 Chronicles is a history book, it records the power and strength of the Assyrian army. The Assyrian army, under the authority and a king of a mighty world empire. And what began as a regional power at this time had grown into a world empire and their army was powerful and ruthless. They showed no pity on any people or on any places. The nation of Israel at this time in history had been divided. It was divided because Rehoboam sought to raise the taxes of the people even more than they had been and there was a revolt of the people and the nation divided. And while we may see it as a revolt and a division because of a raise in taxes, the bottom line reason was the northern part of Israel had left 
their worship of God and they had gone into idolatry. I want to repeat a statement I made in Sunday school. Idolatry is not the bowing down and worshiping of something that is plastic or metal or a stone. Idolatry is anything that keeps us from worshiping God. You understand God is our creator. He is a jealous God. He doesn't want anything to come between our worship of him. He desires you to worship him. He desires you to praise him with your life. He is pleased by your presence in his uh, house this morning and in your uh, he's pleased in your presence in recognizing God as the ruler of the world. The nation had been divided and so Assyria, as they were conquering the world, they had already taken the northern kingdom, the northern half of Israel. <clears throat> Judah is left in the south. Now may I say as I look through history and especially in the word of God, God blessed any people who would trust in him. God blessed any people who would trust in him, who would praise him and would serve him, not only with their lips, but with their lives. And at this time in history, Hezekiah, the king of Judah, is a God-fearing and a God-honoring man and leader. The Lord blessed Hezekiah with wisdom beyond the average, and Judah enjoyed the blessings of the Lord even though much of the world had suffered from the ruthless army of the Assyrians. It was during his reign, Hezekiah, that the king of Assyria declared war not only on the northern kingdom, uh, but he had also declared war on Judah. Hezekiah the king got word. He knew that the king of Assyria and his army was on the march toward the southern part of Jerusalem, the little nation of Judah. That's very interesting to me to note the attitude and behavior of the Assyrian king. His name is Sennacherib toward Hezekiah and the people of God. Hear what I'm about to tell you. Sennacherib, though he was a wicked man, he knew that Judah believed in and trusted in God. He mocked it, he made fun of it, but he knew they believed in God. I saw this morning in a news article, and I don't know if it was in support or if it was mockery. It was written in a neutral fashion, but it was talking about how that many Christians and churches we're praying today for America as if something bad was going wrong. There's no as if to it. The devil wants to destroy our nation. And whether you see the news or not doesn't matter. We can see in how life is being lived out of the attack of the devil on our nation. Now, Sennacherib knew they trusted in the Lord, but he had measured their armies. He knew that his army was far superior to the army of Judah. In fact, when you compared the two, it was like David and Goliath. By the way, let me remind you who won. David did. But the comparison was the same. The Assyrian army was a great army, and the army of Judah was small. Now, it's interesting to me, and I want you to look at verse number 10. I'm going to read several verses here. 
that he used the power of propaganda against the people of Judah. Now hear me well. He used the power of propaganda. Now the reason that gets my attention is the use of the devil's, uh, the devil's use of propaganda in our world today. There's nothing in the news that would cause you to have faith in God. There's nothing reported that would cause you to trust in Him, but everything reported is to get you to trust in what seems to be the strongest man or the strongest movement in America. And He wanted to destroy the faith of God's people. And so let's tune in to CNN here for a few minutes and see what's going on. Second Chronicles 32.10 Then saith Sennacherib, king of Assyria, Wherein do you trust that you abide in the siege in Jerusalem? Doth not Hezekiah uh, persuade you to give over yourselves to die by famine and thirst? Now, Hezekiah wasn't telling them to die by famine and thirst. He was telling them to trust in God instead of government. Now they said if you don't trust in government you're going to die by thirst or famine and Hezekiah said I've read about famine before those that trust in government die by famine and sword and those that trust in God he takes care of them. But this is the wording, the wordsmiths of the uh, uh, propaganda machine. Notice what he says here. The Lord our, and he also says the Lord our God shall deliver us out of the hand of the king of Assyria. Hath not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, Ye shall worship before one altar and burn incense upon it. Now here's what he's saying. You folks know that Hezekiah got rid of all of the gods. And what he's telling you is there's just one God. And everybody ought to worship that one God. And I agree with Hezekiah. Now he said, he took away what you like. He took away the things that you enjoyed in Jerusalem. He said, there's only one God. By the way, it's what our Ten Commandments says. And the very first one says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That used to hang not in the walls, not just in the walls of our schools. It, ought to be, it, it used to be in the hearts of our children and in our lives from our homes. Let's read on in the newscast here in verse 13. Know ye not what I and my fathers have done unto the people of other lands? Were the gods small g. The creator God is a capital G. The small g is one of many. Capital G, they're just one of them. The gods of the nations of, uh, of those lands anyways able to deliver their hand, lands out of mine hand? Who was there among all the gods of those nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver his people out of mine hand that your God should be able to deliver you out of mine hand? Now therefore let not Hezekiah deceive you nor persuade you on this matter. Neither yet believe him For no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people out of thine hand, out of mine hand, and out of the hand of my fathers. How much less shall your God deliver you out of mine hand? And his servants spake yet more against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. 
Notice verse 17. He wrote also letters to rail on the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nations of other lands have not delivered their people out of mine hands, so shall not the God of Hezekiah deliver his people out of mine hand. Then they cried with a loud voice in the Jews' speech unto the people of Jerusalem that were on the wall. Now these are security people. These would be our law enforcement of the day. And they spoke to those people. And they spoke to them to affright them and to trouble them that they might take the city. And they spake against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth which were the work of the hands of man. It's interesting to note that the Bible gives such a plain statement and a powerful response to the, proper, uh, to the propaganda of Sennacherib when he says in verse number 20, And for this cause Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried to heaven. Thank God there are some who did not give in to doubt and fear but the false accusations simply increased their faith and their time of prayer to God. It is important to note that Sennacherib was right on one thing. Judah did not have the physical ability to defend themselves. They were weaker in army and in strength. However, God heard the prayer of Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah and the people that joined them. Look at verse number 22. Then the Lord saved Hezekiah. It doesn't say the army saved. It doesn't say Hezekiah saved. And the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all other, and guided them on every side. I call your attention to the fact that this has happened in our history in America on more than one occasion. More than once, America beginning as a young nation and even before our independence was declared, we came to times that there was no hope against the opposition that would try to stop. Now you understand why our forefathers came to America. They came for the freedom of worship. And not just the worship of any God, they came to worship the God of heaven, the creator God. And you can read in their documents, you can read in the Mayflower Compact and many others, that they came to worship the God of heaven. That's why they came. They came to do what we're doing right now. Now, there were many times in our history that armies would rise up against us to stop or to take away our freedom. We have been where Hezekiah is in this chapter more than once. Don't miss it now. Every time in America when we faced an attack from the beginning of our nation to today, the thing that has kept America from being destroyed is the people of God who have sought the face of God. Sometimes our opposition has been without Sometimes our opposition has been from within. I believe we in America today face a foe 
that is strong and as dangerous as anyone we've ever faced in our history. And once again, this is a foe from within. It is a godless attitude and behavior. Some may call it socialism. It's been called by a lot of isms. Regardless, it always has been, and it is today, a movement to rid God from our nation. Now you understand, and I'll not go into great detail of this because you know it, but you understand even now it is recommended that churches not meet. And yet the gambling hall over here on Red Mile is running promotions giving money to people if they will bring a visitor to gamble with them today. You understand in all of this, the abortion clinics have not been closed in our state. You understand that the gambling parlors have not been, but churches in middle class America has been shut down. I don't have time to go into all that, and you know all of that story. It is not, the attack we face today is not against conservatism so-called I believe it is and it always has been against the God of heaven it has quietly infiltrated and plagued our schools from the lowest level to the universities until it has manifested itself now in an outward manner by displaying hatred before the very things that have made America what it is today they even refer to themselves as a cancel culture. If there was a statue of Christ, he would be one that they would take down. That's the attitude that we live in today. To say it plainly, the violence and the rioting that we're seeing today, and we fear there's more to come, is against God himself. It's against rule and law and order and decency and everything this book is I believe America is due for another revolution you say preacher did you say revival both I've said for some time America is in need of a revolution and a revival I don't care which comes first but we need both in our country today you know it's a shame when we give millions of dollars to foreign countries to study gender identity you understand, and to give money that we don't have. I believe we're facing yet another foe that would take away the freedom as we've known it. It's time that we get back to the basic principles of the worship of one God as is named in the Ten Commandments. It's time that we go back to teaching and requiring work for a living rather than rewarding laziness and raising generations against the very work ethic that God gave man in the garden before sin some folks see work as the curse of sin work is the purpose of man it's what God gave Adam to do he created Adam and he placed him in the garden to oversee it and to rule it. It's time that we go back to teaching and preaching that the home is the foundation of our society. 
where a man and a woman commit to one another in marriage following the guidelines of the word of God for a lifetime and to rear their children to love and to fear God. I don't know and I can't prove that any fraud has taken place in the election but I have talked to judges who have said I have sent people to prison for far less evidence than what I've looked at in recent days. And I can't imagine, nor can you, why there's not been an opportunity even to present evidence in a court of law. You say, preacher, it seems like we're in a bad place today. Well, looking back in American history, we've been at this place before. But I want to ask you a question. Will we remember what brought us through the American Revolution? Will we remember what sustained us and brought us through the Civil War? Will we remember what brought us through World War I when again we were outmatched and outmanned and fighting on foreign soil? I say today God's people need to remember what brought us through. And I'm thankful for the armies. I'm not against them. Judah had one. But that wasn't their trust. Nor can it be our trust today. In fact, I believe that God allowed the Assyrian army to breathe down the neck of Hezekiah because Hezekiah tended to be a man of pride and to trust in himself rather than to trust in God. But the day came he had no choice but to trust in the God of heaven. And that's where we are today. And I say to you, as preachers are saying across America this morning, in pulpits from the East Coast to the West Coast, it's time for God's people to rise in power and prayer and appeal to the God of heaven. I read to you this morning from a book entitled God in American History by A. Lloyd Collins. The American Revolution from 1775 to 1783 provides significant evidences of God's help in our long and hard struggle for independence. We could not possibly have won this war had God not definitely intervened on our behalf. The British had a powerful navy and a large and well-trained and well-equipped army. We, on the other hand, had just a few ships, no regular navy, a small, ill-equipped, ragged, organized army. In spite of our inadequate equipment and resources, we had faith in God and in the justice of our cause. Our leaders looked to the Lord and they encouraged the people in the colonies to call on God, the God of righteousness, in our, cru in our crusade for freedom. Now, this important note that uh, historian Collins made in his book I want to bring it to our attention today because it's one of the areas that we get discouraged in. He writes, there is a fact to remember. According to some of our best historians of the day, only one-third of the population was in support for the war for independence. One-third was for England. Another third was indifferent. Many didn't care which side won, and they frequently shifted their allegiance depending on which side seemed to be winning at a particular time. But the Christian patriots of the revolution made themselves subservient to the will of God. 
Robert Livingston said, The God of heaven whom we serve will sanctify all things to those who love him and strive to serve him. One newspaper wrote, Liberty is the gift of God and it cannot be annihilated. In Boston, preachers agreed on a day to implore of Almighty God to the restoration of lost liberties. A freeborn people are not required by the religion of Jesus Christ to submit to tyranny. Wrote an official in Massachusetts, We trust in God, added a writer from Lexington, Massachusetts. The ministers of Connecticut wrote to the ministers of Boston, it is, it is an inexhaustible source of comfort to know that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Benjamin Franklin told the people of Massachusetts, Your chief dependence must be on your own virtue, unanimity, which under God will bring you through all difficulties. A preacher stood before a New England militia and he told them, God himself is with us for our captain. As the drums were played, young volunteers wrote, painted with golden letters a motto, God who brought our fathers will sustain the sons. One of the prayers that was prayed in 1774 in Carpenter's Hall in, in, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The chaplain prayed this prayer, and I read a part of it. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, high and mighty King of kings, Lord of lords, who dost from thy throne behold all the dwellers on the earth and reignest with power supreme in governments, look down in mercy, we beseech thee, upon these American states who have fled to thee from the rod of the oppressor and thrown themselves upon thy gracious protection, desiring henceforth to be dependent only upon thee. Let me pause here and say, do you understand? Do you understand that there were folks in England who were burned at the stake because they translated the Bible into English so the common man could read the scripture? The rod of the oppressor, they were talking of those in England that required the state religion to be the only religion, not giving folks freedom to worship the God of heaven and the author of this book. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about a political movement. He's talking about a freedom of worship, a freedom of serving God. He prayed. To thee have we appealed for the righteousness of our cause. To thee do we now look for that countenance and support which thou alone can give. Take them therefore, Heavenly Father, under thy nurturing care. Give them wisdom and counsel and valor in the field. Defeat the malicious designs of our cruel adversaries. Be thou present, O Lord of wisdom, and direct the counsel of the honorable assembly. Enable them to settle things upon the best and surest foundation that the scene of blood may speedily be closed. That order, harmony, and peace may effectually be restored in truth and justice, religion and piety prevail and flourish among thy people. You understand this morning that if we're not careful, we will trust in the power 
of a military will trust in the might and the strength of who America has been. But I tell you, friend, America has been no stronger than the days it has totally depended on the God of heaven. You say, but preacher, what can we do among so many? Hezekiah and Isaiah and a handful of people made a difference in the days of Sennacherib's attack on Judah. And I believe there's enough here today and there are enough those that are watching and those that are being called to prayer across America that we can persuade the mighty hand of God to move on the behalf of righteousness and freedom. And as we face yet another threat to our liberty and freedom today, we must remember what's brought us through times like this before. I call on you today to join me in prayer for America. I call on those of you who are watching this sermon to join me in prayer for our nation. You understand that our enemy is subtle and they can speak in the language of a Christian. I'll say it again. You understand that the enemy is subtle and they can speak in the language of a Christian as Sennacherib's men learned to speak in the language of the Jews. The enemy is strong and bold. The enemy is wily and yet our enemy can be defeated again if God's people will call out to him with a clean heart and a heart of faith. You say, preacher, do you believe Christians ought to love their nation? I believe it with all my heart. It was God who said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. My heart's desire is not to ask God to bless sinfulness, but to ask God's people to be a righteous remnant, to appeal to the righteous God of heaven, and that he would hear our prayers. I don't know about you, but I want my children and grandchildren to have the freedom that you and I have enjoyed. It's sad to me to already here. One, one, one of the first statements, one of the first statements is to say, and we will restore the right of a, and I don't remember what word they use, but whichever restroom or bathroom one wants to use. Already talking about the wicked immorality and a defiance of God of heaven. You and I can't make a difference. Amen. And we should. Now before I close, I want to say this morning, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, you ought to trust Christ as your Savior today. You ought to be a part of God's people. You ought to trust Christ that your sins may be forgiven and the penalty of death and hell can be removed and you can receive the eternal, eternal life which is the gift of God. I trust that you will. If you're a child of God, you're out of the will of God There's never been a time that you're needed like today to be in the will of God. Stand with me, if you will. We have folks here this morning that have already been saved and they're going to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. I want you to step out of your seat and come on forward right now and let's prepare. Already, Brother Marco has trusted Christ as Savior and he's going to follow the Lord in baptism. I believe there are others. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us today to understand that going to church is not just something we ought to add to our responsibilities, but Lord, worshiping you as we should 
is to be first and foremost in our life. And Lord, as prayers have been made from the church house to government buildings to battlefields, you have heard the prayers of your people. And we ask today that you hear our prayer. And I pray, Lord, that you would move on behalf of your people and give us your will in our nation. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In just a moment, he's going to sing the invitation song. I would ask you to join me in prayer this morning for our nation and whether you would pray in your seat or come and gather around this altar, I would ask you to join me in prayer and ask God to please extend the freedom of our nation.